Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 31. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. So we have um, some exciting podcast news, I suppose. Uh, this is hopefully from now on going to be a weekly podcast instead of a bi-weekly podcast. Uh, so twice the Back to Excited content for you to enjoy. Back to even more excitement. Exactly. Um, so it's obviously this coincides with the start of the season. We'll have uh, some more content, obviously, during the season to discuss rather than just making fun of other teams, although that will surely still be kind of a very <laughs> robust part of our diet. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about um, the preseason, first off. We're also going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres, as I said, making fun of bad teams. Still, still going to be a thing. <laughs> and we're also going to talk about uh, people trying to galaxy brain lineups. And we'll get into exactly what we mean by that when we get there. But yeah, the first thing we want to discuss is the preseason. So the Leafs have played four preseason games. They are perfect in those preseason games. Um, these games are kind of like half NHLers, half AHL slash junior slash some ECHL potentially players. Um, so it's by no means fully representative of the roster that we are going to be icing. But hey, a, a win's a win. I'd rather win these games than lose them, even if I wouldn't really be that bothered about losing them either. Uh, rumor is the Leafs are going to cut down their roster, or their training camp roster, which is currently at 46 players, down to something that more closely approximates an NHL group and an AHL group. Uh, we're recording this before that happens, although if it happens during the podcast, we'll you know, change course accordingly. But yeah, uh, we wanted to discuss... Who has impressed us? Who has not impressed us? Who has been just okay this preseason? So I guess, yeah, let's start with that. Who has impressed you so far, Fuleman? Tyler Ennis. Uh, yeah. I knew he had the potential. Uh, I even remember last podcast I was talking about, like, he does have some track record in the past of being an impressive player. But at the risk of sounding like an old-timey boxing promoter, he's got moxie. You know, like, he um, he's not a big guy, but he plays with a lot of... Uh, a lot of heat. He went after Rasmus Ristolainen last night, and Ristolainen is like a solid nine inches bigger than him. And then yeah. this was like, I don't care. Uh, and he also made a really lovely sort of bouncing pass right into Austin Matthews' wheelhouse. And then Matthews, I mean, hit it out of the air because he's Austin Matthews and he can do things that mere mortals cannot. But just uh, really impressive. I'm no longer in any doubt that Tyler Ennis is going to be in the opening night lineup. And he's outperformed Andreas Janssen in the uh, the early going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the key thing to remember with Ennis is that, you know, this is, I believe he's a three-time 20-goal scorer. This is a guy mm. who had a very good career uh, in his early 20s. Certainly looked like a guy who would be, you know, would have a very comfortable, solid NHL career that he would look back on very fondly, right? Um, mm -hmm. He played for Team Canada at the World Championships one year, I believe. Right, I mean that, that's that's not nothing. He's he was on his way to an excellent career, and injuries seemingly ruined that. Right, most players don't randomly drop off a cliff at 25 for no other reason. Mm -hmm. And with Ennis, it seems like a lot of that was due to injury, concussions, and then I believe he had a wrist injury. Um, Katya profiled this very well in a in a piece on Penchman Puppets a while back, just talking about exactly who Tyler Ennis is and the type of player he is and how effective he was. It might actually surprise you. So that being said, if he has passed his injuries and he can return to the form he showed when he was like 24 or so, 23, and that's a big if, and mm -hmm. these preseason games do not show that he has, um, 
but if if he has, then like there's no doubt that he's an NHL player, and there's no doubt he deserves a re- a pretty meaningful role, even on a team as stacked in the forward department as the Leafs. He's legitimately um, a very good player when he's at his best. As you mentioned, he is very aggressive on the forecheck. He's very feisty for a guy his size. Mm-hmm. I mean, going after Ristolainen, first off, that's the fastest way to my heart. Because, <laughs> my God, I hate that guy. Oh, he's so bad. He, a bad hockey player and also very reckless, in yeah. my opinion. So, it's like, I, I just don't like him. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he's a saber. I'm not supposed to like him, so whatever. No, that's true. Um, I mean, part of this hot run by Ennis is kind of a PDO run at the right time. Uh, mm-hmm. His Corsi stats are actually not really amazing over the pre- course of a preseason. Now, it's literally two games of preseason. Uh, it really, his Corsi stats in of themselves are not that meaningful, mm-hmm. right? Just because it's a small sample and yada, yada, yada. I mean, you guys know all the reasons. Um, but watching him, and, you know, this comes close to, oh, I've seen him good. Uh, type of analysis but just watching him he's combined well with marlo and matthews he's not really much of a pot carrier and that's the one thing that the line as currently constructed needs another one of Mm -hmm. uh matthews obviously is fine at it very good at it actually but that's what nylander really brings to the table which he will when he gets back Mm -hmm. um ennis is not remotely a replacement for nylander is not remotely the same level of talent or the same level of transition genius that willie is but he is very good in the offensive zone. He combines well with both Marlowe and Matthews, and all of them are very smart, uh, creative offensive players. So it's not that surprising that they've, they've done well. Uh, but they have, right? And I think that's, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. The, I think everyone's pretty happy about it, except maybe Josh Levo, who I think has also been good. He was another one who I put on my has impressed me list. Now, part of this is because of kind of low expectations I have regarding him. But do you have any thoughts on Levo before I get into mine? Uh, I think this is the tragedy of Josh Levo is I think he's done his best and he's been quite respectable and I don't think he's going to make the lineup. <laughs> yeah. It's just same as it ever was, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's been good. He's played with uh, Nazem Kadri and Connor Brown. Mm-hmm. He, he's shown what he needs to show. He can contribute offensively. He can get shots away. That's where he's going to make the difference. Like That's what he has to do in order to uh, you know, impress coaches. He has to be active and engage in the offense. It's he's one of those guys where like even if his team's on ice stats are are good, if he's not directly contributing to it, I, I sort of wonder what he brings because he is kind of just he that's his, his by far his best attribute is his ability to find space and his ability to use his shot. Right? So if he's not doing that, I think he kind of loses a lot of value. He has been doing that this preseason in my opinion. He's been good. Mm-hmm. Um the problem is Ennis has maybe been a little bit better. And there's really only a spot for one of them when you consider, you know, who else is going to be on the team. Exactly. And, and Mike Babcock's uh, kind of history where he, he thinks Josh Levo is a borderline guy, right? More so than, say, Andreas Janssen, who we'll get to soon, I'm sure. But uh, Janssen leapfrogged, leapfrogged, leapfrogged. <laughs> Janssen leapfrogged uh, Levo over the course of last season, right? So I don't see that really have having changed over the course of this one preseason. No, I don't... I mean, I guess Josh Levo has a sort of perverse incentive to hope that uh, William Nylander holds out without a mm-hmm. contract. Because then, yeah. you know, Ennis moves up and then maybe a job opens up on the left wing. Uh, but there's been some chatter from uh, people like uh, Justin Bourne over the at The Athletic who are saying 
they don't think that Levo is going to be a permanent press box resident again this year. They think that if they can't fit him, they're going to trade him and kind of let him go somewhere where he might be a little bit more used. And I am really starting to feel bad for him. So I'm kind of hoping for that almost. Uh, it's rare that I hope my team trades away a player who I think is, you know, certainly useful. He can contribute, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think that Josh Levo has done what he can, and I don't think it's going to quite be enough, unfortunately. So yeah, I think I think realistically he's kind of auditioning for thirty teams. Yeah, and you know, again, there are. I said this last week, but there are teams that I think could uh, certainly make use of Josh Levo, and he could pot a few goals for them. So, happy trails is probably my final word on Josh Levo. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the other, a couple other people I've been impressed by, and I'm just going to kind of lump all of these into one category, is the stars. Mm-hmm. And by that, I specifically mean Matthews, Tavares, and Marner. Um, and I'm confident Nienander would be in the assist if he, if he showed up. Mm-hmm. I think all of them have been very good. I think they've all shown, frankly, that they're too good for preseason. It looks like they're playing at half pace and are still kind of dominating. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ma- Matthews was particularly dominant in Saturday's game against Buffalo. He had seven shots. He was all over the ice. Um yeah, I mean, that that's what you want to see from, from your stars. There's not probably too much to add there, but yeah, they've been good. And realistically, that's what's going to drive the Leafs. That's their their biggest advantage is that they have these three, well, these four stars when you include Nylander, who are all you know elite at their positions. And that's going to be what carries them as far as they go. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to get preoccupied with the roster battles because those are the spots that are in flux. And so that's mostly what we focus on, but it is worth emphasizing, you know, that's marginal. What really matters is that we can now ice a line on which John Devars and Mitch Marner play together, which, like, if you watch them for about two seconds, they're immediately like, oh, these guys are going to torch the NHL. Yeah. Like, the, there's I mean, absolutely no question. They've combined brilliantly, and it, it made so much sense on paper, and it's good to see that borne out on the ice, right? They're, I think, like, like we said before, I think any combination of those four players, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner, are going to combine brilliantly. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just kind of a no wrong answer thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, this could be a big year for, for both of them. I, I think there's a real argument that uh, Marner is the best teammate or line mate rather Tavares has ever had. Again, mm-hmm. we're disrespecting Anders Lee who has like multiple 40 <laughs> goal years or something. How many times have we done that? Like, I, like, I swear this is like the seventh time we've been like, Anders Lee, can, <laughs> who can say if he's real? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, look, I'm, you don't get to score 40 goals by accident, and no. I'm sure Anders Lee is good, but until I see him do it without Tavares, just given Tavares' history of elevating wingers, I'm just not really going to believe he's anything more than like a pretty good 25-goal guy. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. It's a fine Which is a very be. good player. Yeah, very good yeah. player. It's just, I think, Marner's better. Yeah, like, the, the Leafs are now going to ice legitimately two first lines, and then probably the best third line in the NHL at full power. Like, this is a really, really good forward lineup. Yeah, yeah, the forward um, lineup's absolutely disgusting. Um, I guess this is another guy who I could kind of lump into the, the Stars category, not nearly to the same degree as the other ones, but I mm-hmm. thought Gardner, he's, who's only played one preseason game, I think, uh, because he's just welcoming a little baby Jake into the world. Um, I think Gardner was fine, and was, was quite good, actually, yesterday against Buffalo. Yeah, uh, I thought so too. You know, honestly, and it's kind of under-discussed, and, uh, you know, I don't know 
how things are dividing up in the Gardner household or anything. I'm always kind of stunned when people have a newborn and then show up and are, like, competent in anything. Yeah. Because I've operated on, like, no sleep, you know, in my life, and I'm like, I get dumb, man. Like, dumber than usual. I can't, uh, I can't put my thoughts together. So I was just kind of impressed when Gardner went out and played, like, you know, a player, mm-hmm. almost. Um, but I don't know if he's been up all night with the, with the newborn or what. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, I think he's fine. We're really hoping Gardner Zaitsev can get their legs under them this year and yeah. become a good pairing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, Gardner is super, super crucial for us because, mm-hmm. I mean, we need Zaitsev to be a competent second-pairing defenseman, right? And Gardner's maybe the guy who can unlock that. He's certainly the, the, the Leafs defenseman with the greatest track record of elevating, uh, elevating kind of randoms into surprisingly decent results. Uh, Riley did that with, with Ron Hainsey last year, mm-hmm. and we'll have to do it again. But I think with Hainsey, I have far less hope that Riley can do anything, just because, like, Hainsey's 5 million years old. Uh, whereas, whereas Zaitsev, like, Zaitsev is always annoying to me because he has, visibly when you watch him, he has so many impressive skills. He's a very good mm-hmm. skater. He's legitimately talented in the offensive zone. It's just the things he's bad at seem to are very, very important. He's not really great at defending the blue line. He's not very good at leaving his own zone. So, I mean, those are two critical functions, and hopefully the Leafs and he are getting better at them now. Um, but yeah. Jake's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting there, so we need we need him at his best. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and I'm a little bit resigned to we're probably going to lose Jake Gardner, but, mm-hmm. man, we're going to miss him. <laughs> if he goes, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, it would certainly not be lossless. Although, um, this next player who I'm going to mention, if we're being super, super optimistic, maybe he can help us there. And that's Rasmus Sandin, who has really, really impressed me. Yeah, and he's impressed Mike Babcock, too. Yes. Uh, Mike Babcock had a quote, and again, Mike Babcock says a lot of things. He's always coaching. He's psychologizing his players, trying to move the needle however he can. The way he talked about Rasmus Sandin sounded like love. Like, he just was so impressed with how steady and mature uh, Sandin was. And there felt like a little bit of a subtext where he was like, I really want the grown-up version of that on my team. You know, I'm sure the the Leafs defense group sometimes drives him crazy. So uh, Sandin's ability to kind of be calm under pressure and make the, the smart, steady play is probably all the more appealing. But he looked really good. I think he's making a case uh, that he should probably be with the Marlies this year due to his kind of unique situation where he was, like, loaned to junior from an SHL team. Mm -hmm. He is actually eligible to go to the AHL, unlike most junior players who are teenagers. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he's ready to to step into a pro league and then again to the Leafs development system. Yeah, Um, yeah, so it seems like... The options right now are either SHL or AHL, mm-hmm. and certainly the SHL is a great league. Uh, playing there in meaningful minutes as a draft plus one player is not nothing. That's something very valuable. Valuable, but I would like to see him in the AHL, um, not only to make sure he's he continues to acclimatize to North American ice, uh, but to get him in the Leafs system. Right? I think you mm-hmm. have you obviously exert so much more control over a player's development when he's in your backyard, when you're working with him every day. Whereas in Sweden, 
the Leafs really don't have that much control over what the coaches there tell him, what they want him to work on, which may be different than what he needs to work on in the eyes of the Leafs, right? Like it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of competing interest, and that's why it's always weird to me where you know NHL teams make these million dollar decisions, and then they're like, okay, yeah, we'll just send this guy back to Shakutami. To, yeah, you know, I hope the, it works out. You know, yeah, I hope it works out. See you in a couple years, right? And yeah. uh, one thing that I think the Leafs have been good at, you know, and you, you you listen to the prospect interviews. Um, and the prospects mentioned, like, oh, yeah, the Leafs are in contact with us a lot, even mm-hmm. the ones who go back to junior, right? And I think that matters, right? Let them know that you're still there, that you're looking after them, that you're still invested in their success. And I think you can also get a lot more out of your players that way, right? If you continue to reinforce the ideas like, hey, we, you know, from your time at rookie camp and at training camp, here's what we want you to work on and all that sort of thing, and you regularly check in with them about that, that's very, very valuable. But as it relates to Sandin, it would be so, such a boon for him to just be in the Leafs development system from jump, right? And yeah, yeah, I've been super, super impressed by him. He makes a lot of those just those subtle three foot passes when you're under pressure that let you maintain control in your defensive zone. He seems just super, super aware of players at all times. And yeah, he, he does not do anything spectacular. He lacks that, you know, explosive element that some of the best defensemen in the world have. Mm-hmm. But he makes the right play a lot, and I think you can go a very, very far away doing that. Um, and I, I, look, it has to be said, he he got the usage, the baby usage here, right? As yeah. he should, right? Ba- Babcock says this a lot, but he wants his players to feel empowered, and you feel empowered when you achieve success, right? Exactly. Throwing people to the wolves, that's what bad teams do because they don't have any better options. Good teams create a structure where someone can learn and grow while being positively reinforced. Show up and be good when you get there. Exactly. Um, is the and Babcock I, thinking. And it makes I, a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I think I think it's very smart, right? You don't want to destroy these kids' confidence. You don't want to make them feel, oh, man, I have so far to go. Even though they, they really do. They all do, right? Very mm-hmm. few people are NHL ready at 18, 19. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was I was very impressed by Sand. And I think you can see him in an NHL role without imagining too hard, right? Like, exactly. Like, oh, he needs to fix X, Y, and Z, and then he'll be an NHL player. So a lot of it's like, if he gets more physically mature, he might mm-hmm. be there, right? Like, the, the skills in the brain are not that far off. Yeah. With a lot of these players, like, you, yeah, you have to fill in so many blanks, and then you have to allot, like, three years for them to kind of get all of that. With Sandin, it looks like a straight line. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm now... I, like, I, I'm not confident, I'll say, but, like, I think it's more likely than not that we're getting an NHL defenseman in Rasmus Sandin. Um, yeah, I th- I kind of thought that anyway, but like certainly seeing him has done nothing to dispel that notion. Yeah, and which I mean, has been good. It's good. I mean, maybe this is a huge overreaction, and like this is <laughs> this is gonna end up on like old takes exposed or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Famous draft bust, Rasmus Sandin was lauded by those losers on Back to Excited, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's been good. Um, and I feel obliged to to mention in sort of a similar connection. So Kyle Dubas uh, traded down in the first round from 25th to 29th mm-hmm. and acquired a third-round pick. At 29th, he took Rasmus Sandin. And with that third-round pick, he drafted Semyon Derogachinsev. Oh, who, SDA, the light of my yeah, life. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Side note, I remember at the time I was kind of disappointed by that trade down and, uh, mm. and pick. Not for any real reason. I have no real draft expertise. But I think, I remember I was in... Italy at some, uh, you know, crappy hostel, 
Mm-hmm. It was at like 5 a.m. there. So I think I was just cranky. But in hindsight, that looks like a, a smart decision so far, especially because SDA has um, outperformed all reasonable expectations and has earned a contract, right? Yeah, uh, has earned he's, an he has ELC. an ELC, uh, which is kind of bonkers for someone who was drafted in the third round a couple months ago. Yeah, um, it's, it's a little uncommon. I, I wonder how much of that is kind of performative in a sense where the mm-hmm. Leafs are saying, you know, it, there's a lot of different ways you could interpret this, but it, this is, he is the most quote-unquote Kyle Dubas pick that the Leafs have made under Kyle Dubas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He, he is a tiny guy who has so much to work on but has a skill set to dream on. Yeah. Right? And, and you can see Dubas kind of wanting to say, hey, this is this is this guy, even if most likely he's going to turn out to not be an enchanter because that's always the odds. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is kind of a symbol of what we're looking for going forward. And he had a good camp, and I want to reward him. Yeah, exactly. And kind of encourage him, give him something to work towards. Give him a bit of money, which, yeah. frankly, is not anything to sneeze at. Um, he got 80K in a signing bonus. That's, yeah. It's not nothing uh, for, for, for an 18-year-old. <laughs> he's, for an 18-year-old, he's like a bajillionaire right now. Yeah. I think he's going to be driving a pretty nice car around Peterborough. Is <laughs> the impression I get. And then he'll get stopped because the police will be like, I think he's 14. He yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's been... The thing about SDA is that I've kind of enjoyed that all of Leaf's Twitter has immediately gone into, like, a self-aware, semi-ironic hype cycle about him. Like, everyone, like, knows, like, this is silly. It's silly that we're getting carried away of this. And so the joke is always, like, SDA is going to be our first line center uh, out of camp. But everyone is also legit excited about him because he has so much talent. I think the thing that stood out to me uh, in his preseason game on Friday was that he closed off Zegmas Gergensen's um former nhl all-star yeah oh <laughs> that was a weird time but uh, gergensen's is way bigger than him and sda muscled him on the boards uh to free up the puck for a teammate and it was like watching david beat goliath not with a slingshot but with a wrestling pin i've never <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like it so he's yeah. got a lot of um speaking of feisty small players like ennis He's got some fire to him. So, you know, it's a long road, obviously, to the NHL. But certainly, for a third-round pick, I'm as excited as you can be. Yeah, I mean, one of the knocks on him was that he's so physically undeveloped and immature Mm -hmm. that it's hard for him to win uh, physical battles. And I think that's very clearly borne out. He, He didn't win that many physical battles, but he was also... I think probably by necessity, he knows how to use leverage well because he has to because that's the only way he's ever going to win a physical battle, right? Is yeah. if he kind of outsmarts the other guy. Um, so, yeah, we saw a couple times where he was like very smart with the use of his stick and with his body positioning. He he needs to work on his lower half. And I, he said as oh, much yeah. in an interview where the Leafs said, yeah, <laughs> the Leafs basically told him, like, yeah, we need you to get a lot stronger, right? He's got he's got to live in the weight yeah. room for a little bit because he, he's... Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, it's not just that he's small, it's that he, he's weak. He's not strong on his skates yet, right, relative to what he needs to be. But, that, I mean, as we, we talked about before and as we talked about on the Leafs Geeks podcast when we were there, uh, it's easier to fix that than to t- teach a strong guy how to see the ice the way SDA does, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and Babcock seems to like him too, which is, which, which is interesting and fun because, you know, Babcock's normally the, the type of guy who you wouldn't pick him to necessarily love the all-offense tiny winger um yeah but he seems like kind of bemused by sda 
<laughs> he likes, because uh, the kid has some confidence. And uh, Babcock seems like kind of uh, amused in like a fatherly way. He's like, all right, show us what you got, kid. Yeah. Uh, which is funny. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it is uh, a statement move. I think from Dubas, you know, giving uh, SDA a contract, it doesn't really have any consequences because yeah. one, when he's loaned back to junior, it doesn't count against the 50 contract limit mm-hmm. Two, it. Um, it's going to slide twice almost mm-hmm. certainly. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there are no performance bonuses on it, which I found kind of interesting. And if it does, you know, if everything does go as we hope it will with SDA, in three to five years, that could be pretty useful for a capped out Leafs team um, to have a player who is on just a straight $800,000 contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, some of this was just Kyle Dubas being like, one, work hard and get rewarded, and two, uh, this is my house now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, SDA's... He- I could talk about him for a while. He's he's a fun player. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we'll continue down the list of people who impressed us. I think um, another couple of players who got nice usage but also took advantage of it are Adam Brooks and Jeremy Bracco. Definitely. Uh, really encouraging. Both guys who need to have a big AHL season and both guys who look like they know it and have been playing quite well. Mm-hmm. I yeah. My biggest thought watching this was, like, I was too low on Jeremy Bracco in the top 25. I think that's going to end up being possibly an issue. Yeah. But I was in, I was high on Brooks, and I've been encouraged with with everything I've seen from him. Just, like, lots of nice little plays. Um, a little bit of, of kind of moxie moving around the ice. Like, he just seemed like more of an impact player and more confident. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the two of them are going to have a fun year with the Marlies, and then we'll see where we're at. Yeah, as you said, they need to be excellent at the AHL level. They need to be standouts there in order for mm-hmm. either of them to really have a realistic shot at making it to the NHL. Brocco especially, because because of the game he plays and his natural strengths and weaknesses, I feel like he's always going to fight an uphill battle against his coaches to some extent. Yeah. Um, right? And, and we saw last year that Keith didn't trust him in the playoffs, perhaps erroneously, but that's, that's a thing coaches do, right? Coaches mm-hmm. err on the side of risk aversion. So Brocco needs to be better than he kind of should be on, on, on merit in order to get the trust of a coach and make sure his spot in the lineup is secure. So, yeah, it is a very, very big year for him and a very big year for him to show that he can claim a spot on the Leafs because, again, as we've, we've, as we've discussed before, when you think of the fact that, you know, two, two right-winger slots for the next 10 years are taken up by William Neander and Mitch Barner. Mm-hmm. Right there, there's not that much more room for wingers now, especially wingers who are kind of the same but worse, right? Which is kind yeah. of what Rocco is, right? Like he's he's that type of player, but not as good. So he needs to make sure he's he has he has no margin for error, right? There's not that many spots available for him. He doesn't have that many lanes to the NHL, so he needs to fill one and really do a good job of it. But he seems yeah. like he's in a good position to do that this season, right? Everything that we've seen from him this summer, from rookie camp to training camp has been positive. He is a very fun player to watch. His edge work and his tomahawks are so, so crisp. It's very fun. Um, I, and I'm rooting for him because he, he potentially does have really high upside, right? And that can be super valuable for the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, Scott Wheeler, who used to 
uh, edit our site and who now writes for The Athletic, has consistently been really high on Jeremy Bracco. Um, and a lot of people give Scott a hard time about stuff, but he was also one of the first people I knew to be really high on Andreas Janssen. So when he kind of points to a guy as a potential gem, uh, I pay attention. So it, I think definitely there's a lot to like about uh, Jeremy Bracco's game. There's a lot of talent there. I expect he's going to get 50 points in the AHL this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he, if, he was on that, well, he's on a 50-point pace in an 82-game season last year, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so the question is, can he do more than that? Can he become more of a two-way player? Um, Brooks is not going to score as much, I suspect. Yeah. Although, if, you know, if the two of them play together, we'll see. But Keith trusts Brooks, I think, quite a bit more. Um, from some of the quotes he was saying towards the end of last year, you know, we can trust Brooks in any situation. We can use him on the penalty kill, use him on the power play, and uh, he's a reliable player. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I was high on Adam Brooks was that I think he has more of a path to earning the trust of coaches than Bracco does because he can conceivably um, fill more roles. It's a bit like teaching Kasperi Kapanen to, to kill penalties. You know, it gives them more options. It makes you a more viable bottom six candidate um, than just having one skill set. But it, it is heartening to see these guys uh, look like they're going to take a step forward because they need to. So, yeah, absolutely. There, there are a couple <laughs> of the guys that he's are kind of banking on in a, in a prospect system that is getting a little barren now in terms of mm-hmm. kind of sure bets. So, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be important for them to do well. Uh, was there anyone else who you were impressed by over the course of this preseason? Um, yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers everyone that I really liked. Okay. Um, I, okay. So let's move yeah. on into who has been uh, just okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have that many people here. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't like to sit on the fence. You're either good or you're bad to me. You know, <laughs> um, hard lines. <laughs> uh, I think I put Zaitsev here. Actually, uh, he mm-hmm. had a bad game with Martin Marinson, which we'll get into, and I think a pretty good one yesterday with Gardner against mostly NHL competition. Um, yeah. I mean, it was Buffalo, so so mostly N- yeah <laughs> NHL and scare quotes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we alluded to this earlier. We probably don't need to discuss it that much further. He he. We need him and Gardner to be a good pairing, yeah. straight up, right? We need that. Yeah, so that that's um, just the reality of our defense. He's our best right-handed defenseman any way you slice it, mm-hmm. and we really require more of that. I think a lot of um, the veterans I would put in the in the just okay tier, you know. Yeah. The truth is that preseason is a drag if you're not fighting for a job. You're you know, trying to I, make sure you don't get hurt for a lot exactly. of these guys. Um, and, and I got the impression, like, especially the first time out with Matthews, I didn't feel like he was as engaged as I've seen him be. He was more engaged last night and he was still super good, mm-hmm. but it, it's like, this is beneath him. You know, he's not going to go bananas trying to beat up a, on a bunch of AHL players. Um, and that's fine. You know, I, I'd like... I think we all like the idea of like everyone gives 110% every day in, day out. But at a certain point, you're just getting your feet wet. So that's how, what I think most of like the steady veterans have been doing. Like, you know, Kadri or um, Zach Hyman, always first in my heart, but same sort of thing. Yeah, I, th- I think he's been trying, but like he looks like how he looks. Yeah, Hainsey, oh. like I, I'd put in there. I, Hainsey's, like I said, he's 
prehistoric. He should not care at all about preseason. No. He knows the take, deal. Take the preseason off if you yeah, want to. Yeah, I'd honestly <laughs> be happy if he just showed up, like, game one. Like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to ride you for 82 games plus playoffs. Like, just chill for now. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I think a lot of the veterans have been there. I actually have a few in the in the not-impressed department. So, yeah. uh, a couple that I'm that I would put there, uh, Connor Brown and Nazem Kadri to an extent. Kadri's, like, a very, very, very slight, like, you could put him in just okay, as you did, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. really have an issue with that. But Brown is like, I every time I watch Brown, I kind of feel like um, there's there's that like meme from I forget what from where um, it's like Office Space or whatever, where it's like the guy's like, what what exactly do you do here? <laughs> yeah, it's Office Space, yeah, right? It's like that's kind of how I feel about Brown. Like, what do you do? Like, what what do you <laughs> succeed at here? Right? Because like he kind of. And this sounds meaner than I intended, because Brown is 100%. We talked about him a lot as well. He's 100% an NHL player. He's fine. He's perfectly competent. But he kind of just floats along. He never really impresses me that much. He never really does anything truly awful. He's just kind of yeah. there. Um, And it's it's like... He seems like a responsible and smart player. And, you know, Justin Bourne talks him up endlessly, and Bourne obviously has far more knowledge about this sort of stuff than I do. But... He's not really a guy I ever want to rely on. It's like, he's a guy who's, who any contributions that come from him, I treat strictly as a bonus. Yeah. I, I think the thing about Connor Brown and maybe the best thing about him is that I think he does kind of keep up mm-hmm. in a way, even as the level of play rises. Um, you know, you've said he has to be the third best player on the line, but at the same time, as long as you're not expecting a huge amount of offense from him, because I don't. I think he always sustains that. Mm-hmm. You can put him somewhere, uh, almost anywhere in your lineup, and he'll be okay. And, you know, that is a lot of utility. It's it, so hard for me to, like, does. have a strong take on Connor Brown because I feel like he's just doing the Connor Brown thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, day in, day out. So. My only concern there is um, I don't think that Kadri line with Brown and Levo has been amazing. I think I think Levo has kind of done all right, but that's also kind of relative to my expectations of Levo, which is that he's a fringe NHL player. Right. Um, I I don't think that group has been phenomenal, it, and that could potentially be a weak spot because, I mean, poor, poor Kadri, because he, <laughs> for the last couple of years, he's kind of never, aside from that last half season with Marner, which is not going to be repeated now, no. he's not had really the benefit of amazing line mates. Right, um, and you look at all the context-adjusted stats—the ones that are just for usage and teammates and zone and all that stuff—and every single time Kadri gets a huge bump because his usage is just horrendous. It's like so difficult because he gets like really mediocre teammates and really, really hard competition and really, really tough usage. Yeah, and, and he he like survives it and scores thirty goals a year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a phenomenal player. It's it just I I don't know. I don't know that this line is going to succeed if Brown is on it. Yeah, that, which is worrisome because I think it's going to be uh, Brown on the right wing for that line. And I think part of the reason for that is that, if we're being real, Janssen and Kapanen haven't really blown us away. Absolutely. Yeah, they were the next two people on, on my list. And essentially, neither has really staked a claim to a larger role. Yeah, and it's a bit... You know, uh, Mike Babcock had that quote about, like, you gotta go and fight for a job. Uh, even when you're almost certainly going to get one, and I think that they will, but like, you know, I, I wanted to see more uh, from them. I, I'm a little bit 
I guess let down. It's a bit silly to get let down by preseason games again, and it's it's like a very short sample. It's just knowing what those guys can do against AHL competition, which this sort of was, mm-hmm. or like partially was. You really do want to see them kind of dazzle, stake a firm claim, make a real case for being on the third line instead of the fourth line. Um, yeah, and it's like it's not like Connor Brown is the hardest bar in the world to clear. No, right? Like Connor Brown is he's he's a competent third liner. That's fine, but like you would hope that these guys could be above that. And I think the one thing this kind of illustrates is that you know, hey, the JVR loss is not painless. No. Right, like, like so many people are saying, and you know what, I agree with this broadly. Is that Kapanen and Janssen and the other wingers that we have can mitigate the loss of JVR to some extent, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, and you see, actually, you see this with the various WAR models that are perhaps lower on the leaf than you'd expect because they don't necessarily anticipate jumps from those players, or those players don't have extensive NHL track records that would indicate that they could replace a, a first liner like JVR. But, you know, they need to actually do that, and they haven't yet, right? And it, it's not a given that they will. No. Right? And, I mean, you start to think, okay, if these guys are just going to be very good, overqualified fourth liners, like, that's going to feel like a disappointment. It is, and th- that has actually real knock-on effects for the Leafs, right? I know mm-hmm. you and I have been banging the drum of, like, hey, JVR is much better than people give him credit for. Um, yeah. And this is kind of a continuation of that, but... One of the Leafs' real advantages is that, hey, you have Nazem Kadri on the third line, but Kadri needs to have good line mates in order for that line to have success. He, he's a great player, but he can't will that line on his own with Connor Brown and Josh Levo there to a 50% Corsi 4 and goals 4 percentage against top competition, right? And the Leafs don't necessarily need him to be at 50%, you know, given that the rest of their lineup. But if you want that group to be successful, Kadri's going to need some help. He's going to need some players who can actually bring stuff to the table, mm-hmm. right? And the hope is, I think, among most Leaf fans that even if Brown and, say, Ennis start there, uh, that Janssen and Kapanen provide, show their upside and show, hey, we can add to this role. And they yeah. still could do that. It's preseason. We don't want to overreact. But they haven't really made that claim very persuasively so far. Yeah. It just... Knowing the psychology of, of Mike Babcock, I feel like he's going to feel, you know, I'm not going to give you something you haven't earned. Right. And the real problem for Janssen, as we're saying, is that Tyler Ennis has absolutely earned it. Yeah. Like, and, he's, he's outperformed him pretty persuasively. So. And, and, again, this is another thing that, going back to what we talked about with Ennis in proclaiming his former level. If Ennis is his old self, he is better than Andreas Janssen. Probably. Right? If Ennis is a 20-goal, 45-point guy, like, isn't that what we all expect Andres Janssen to be or hope that Andres Janssen can be at his best? Yeah. I mean, right? that's the thing is Ennis has done it, and Janssen, as great as he is, is just making the NHL full-time at uh, 24. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, again, it, it is early. There's plenty of time. I still think that, you know, eventually those guys are going to rise up the lineup and their skill is going to win out. It's just they're not quite taking the jump yet. Yes, yes. And, I mean, I, I hope they do. I, I feel like I'm going to get frustrated by Connor Brown on the third line at many points this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they need, to, they need to actually do it first, right? And this is something, 
again, people kind of get frustrated with Babcock about this, but I think it's the right way to do it. A lot of this comes down to managing people, right? You don't you don't give things to people. You make they have to earn it. Yeah, exactly. Especially when, you know, as much crap as I'm giving Brown. Brown is perfectly fine in that role, realistically. If if he's mm-hmm. your third best right winger, you're you have a good forward group. Yeah, and like I think Kasper and Kapan and can outperform Connor Brown, but he has to do it. Yeah. So go do it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's the bottom line. If you're listening. Get it to it, Kapanen. Come on, Cappy. Why are you listening to this <laughs> podcast? Shouldn't you be... <laughs> yeah. Only if you're working out while you listen to it. Then yeah. It's okay. the, the best workout podcast there is. <laughs> Just, we need to, like, put Metallica in the background to get people, like, amped while yeah. we're having, like, our nerdy and, like, tr- nuanced takes. On exactly. Um, prospects. I guess, speaking of uh, kind of forward prospects who have not really excited me, uh, Carl Grundstrom has been invisible. He, you know what? He was overhyped. And this is the thing. is like, it's okay. Yeah, he's I, still quite young. He's going to have uh, a nice developmental year. And like, I'm almost like, in, in his case, I'm almost annoyed at people who were like, kind of going bananas about him and saying that he was going to like, crack the lineup immediately and all that sort of thing. When really, it's just like, it's tough. Yeah, uh, to learn this. And, now, and to be clear, I want to make this clear. This is actually is yeah. not an overreaction because this is something that you in particular and, and us in general <laughs> we've discussed for a while, right? Uh, yeah. Carl Grunstam in our in PPP's top twenty five under twenty five series had maybe the most uh, vicious comment section of people accusing us like, "Hey, you are far too low on this guy." Yeah, and like, I, <laughs> I'm still kind of bewildered uh, that it was like, you know, every year people get mad at us about stuff and that's fine. That's the nature of the, the exercise, but I never quite foresee what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's great. I think he's maybe our best forward prospect, not in the NHL right now. Um, he's got a lot of talent. Mike Babcock is going to like him, going to like his game. It's just, he needs more time and maybe, don't go totally off the wall with him, mm-hmm. um, or compare him to Wayne Simmons. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, the, but, the yeah. thing with Grunstrom, and we've remarked on this. Kevin has remarked on this before. Is that Grunstrom, even when he's playing well, is kind of invisible. But he he'll like show up on the on the um, on the score sheet with like a goal or something, or like he'll yeah. have created havoc in front of the net. Uh, so the thing about that is that like if you're kind of if you only make contributions in kind of one specific aspect of the game. And that's kind of your con card. As soon as that falls away, you really, you don't have much to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that's the thing. Like, I think the key for him to continue his growth is to try and impact the game as much as possible in other areas. Right? And yeah. he, he's obviously like a bulldozer in front of the net, despite not being a tremendously huge guy. He's quite aggressive on the forecheck from what I've seen. But if he can develop some skills that allow him to just touch other parts of the game a little bit more that'll do a lot of good for him because right now yeah he's he's been lost in the shuffle and that that's not a that's not a problem like i i think no one no no reasonable expectation for him should have included hey this guy should be a standout at this training camp right he yeah i think him being okay or mediocre that that's fine it's a learning experience he's gonna get better he's gonna be on the marty's this whole season and yeah he'll he'll be counted on there and that'll be a good opportunity for him but I think even relative to kind of the more sane expectations, he's been a bit of a disappointment. I wanted to see him impact 
um, impact that game more substantially than he has, especially given that we're not at the business end of preseason where he's facing mostly NHL talent. A lot of the people he's facing are AHLers. Yeah, like this is his level. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't remember much about his game. Like that's like he he made very little impression on me. So I, I mean, Kevin talked about sometimes he's easy to miss, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting for a guy whose calling card is making some havoc. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, certainly patience is the byword. He's not in the spot that Brooks and uh, Brocko are in, where like they really need to be proving that they're going to be NHL ready in a year, or it's not going to happen probably. Uh, with Grundstrom, it's okay if he's two years away or three mm-hmm. years away. Um, yeah, and so I, I think that's what we're seeing. Um, speaking of guys who were two or three years away, Timothy Liljegren wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, he's still quite young. Very young. Um, but he looked uneven. Let's go with that. I think and the comparison he, to Sandin... Yeah, that's didn't the thing. Help because Sandin is mm-hmm. more more poised with the puck. I think that kind of the skills are in Sandin's favor right now. Where, where Liljegren mm-hmm. exceeds him is he has a lot more um, high-end ability, right? He has kind of the explosion that Sandin doesn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. He has it, a, a much better shot, I believe, than Sandin. From what I've heard in scouting reports, and that kind of jives with what, what I've seen of them. His upside is higher, but yeah, like he he was definitely I think uneven is a good way to put it, and like like Grundstrom kind of, it that's fine. It, his mm-hmm. job this year is to succeed when placed in a substantial role in the AHL. Yeah, uh, and that's basically where he's at. I, I think uh, with with Liljegren, you know, he, he has glimpses of just such spectacular ability. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of being sort of a, an offensive defenseman playmaker, that it's easy to sort of expect he, he's close. Like, there were people talking about him making the Leafs on the third pair this year. And again, <laughs> I'm probably getting too carried away with this, but, like, that was silly. Yeah. Um, no, and everyone who watched the Marlies immediately was like, no, that's silly. He's not there yet. Um, and, you know, he's not there yet. Yeah, and, uh, and it should which be clear. Is fine. Everyone who watches the Marlies regularly is excited about him. They think, yeah, he had a successful year. But his successful year was he played an AHL shift and was not out of place. Yeah, which at 18 is great. And, you know. Yeah, exactly. And as we said, the the job now is, okay, can he be a standout at that level? Can he be a difference maker at that level as opposed to just a guy who is able to hang? Yeah, I guess maybe the reason I'm so irritable about this point is that, like, it's hard to be sensibly optimistic about Lilia Grin because, like, you sound like you're being pessimistic when you're disagreeing with the people who are, like, kind of pie in the sky on him. Yeah. But it, it's like, it's okay. He's working on it. He's getting there. Uh, I mean, I don't... I don't think the most realistic scenario with Lilia Grin is top pair defenseman. It's not out of the question. Yeah. Um, but I think he's going to be an NHLer. I just think he needs a, lo- a little bit more time. So that's moderating stuff. I'm not as I'm not like really disappointed with Liljegren in the way that I am with someone else that we're probably going to get to in a minute. Um 
But but yeah, it's just sort of be patient, wait and see uh, for both Grunstrom and Lilligren. So yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it's it, it's not like their career is ruined and oh my god, they're bums <laughs> and it's it's they they've had a slightly underwhelming camp, which is fine for them given their age. Let's see how they do in the AHL season. Exactly. Um, someone who does not fit into that category, I suppose. I'm guessing this is who you wanted to talk about. Was it Andrew Nielsen? Oh. Uh... No, but okay. Andrew Nielsen. Okay, well, man. we we don't need to really discuss Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Nielsen is not an NHL player. He is, does not look particularly likely to become an NHL player. No. He annoys me with the really reckless and dangerous hits. I cannot stand those. I really do not enjoy watching him play. Um, yeah. That's really all I have to say about him. Yeah, and he punched a guy in the in the head while he was on the ice. Yeah, which is just no, like, don't just don't do that. that. Don't do that. Yeah, that's, that's awful. Um, sorry. So, who did you want to discuss? Connor Carrick. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't believe yeah. I first... So, actually, um, I-, I lumped him and Marinson together in my in my notes, which tells you a lot. Um, <laughs> okay, so, first off, I-, I might need to... I might be getting the next flight off of Marinson Island. Mm, I-, I-, I think that that's done. Yeah. I, I, like, I-, I love him, but, like, it's it's over. Yeah. I mean, I- look, <laughs> I-, I think Marinson, on some teams, on weaker teams in the NHL, I think he could be a bottom pair guy. Right, I, I don't think yeah. he is so far gone as to say, oh, he's completely shot for the NHL in any role ever. Babcock mm-hmm. still clearly trusts him on the penalty kill, but I think for this specific team, given the Leafs' strength on the left side, it's just very difficult to find him an even strength shift because there are three or four guys who you could argue deserve it more. Right, yeah, it, um, just, it, it hasn't been there. R- really, the only, the only tiny chance that he gets. A, a consistent roster spot this year, barring injury, is if Babcock really feels that okay, I can't use, I can't just use Hainsey and Zaitsev on the penalty kill anymore. I need to use someone else, and then he's also unwilling to use literally anyone else. Like really, the only role for Marinson is as a PK specialist, which yeah. I don't. That's not. I don't think it's a smart decision anyway, right? To optimize your team for the f- six minutes a game you play shorthanded, as opposed to, you know, the twelve minutes a game he's going to play at even strength. Yeah, you gotta focus on where most of the game is played, which is still even strength. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so you know, Marincin's an elite AHL defenseman, and I think he'll, uh, he's as I can see him being the least seventh D, and I think that's actually a mm-hmm. perfect role for him. I don't mind if he has to come in to fill in for injury. He mm-hmm. is, I think, a legitimately good penalty killer. As I said, on other teams, I think he is not a terrible bottom pair guy. It's just I think the Leafs have better options. Yeah. And, you know, he's been around. We know him. Yeah. I think that that's kind of kind of set now. Uh, Connor Carrick, really, this was his chance to run away with the third-pairing right defense job. Yeah. And he hasn't been doing it. And that's a problem for him. And that's a problem. Uh, like, you know, Mike Babcock hasn't loved his work. You know, when he's playing Roman Polak over you, that's not a great sign. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, a lot of people got mad about this. And I, I wanted to play Garrick over Bullock. But, like, I think lost in all the grumbling about Mike Babcock wanting to play Bullock and how crazy and awful that was, was that Connor Carrick was not making that decision for him. If he, like, it's not like Carrick was playing so well that Babcock didn't have a choice. Do you know what I mean? Like, he needed to clearly outperform Roman Bullock more than he did. Um, and then now Polak's out of the way. You're thinking, he's a right-shooting defenseman. He, he should get there. And it just, 
for a guy who is obviously very intelligent, obviously able to break down plays, his decision-making on the spot sometimes doesn't seem to be what it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, it's... I like Carrick a lot from a personal mm-hmm. perspective. He seems, if I could grab a beer with a leaf, I think he'd be the guy I choose. He is incredibly articulate and very, very smart about the game from his interviews, right? One of the best mm-hmm. interviews on the Leafs, if not the best interview. Um, but I think, I think the results when he's on the ice have, they've been good, but they should be good given the usage he gets, right? Like mm-hmm. th- that's the thing. I mean, so yes, he's better than Roman Polak. But that's not a high bar, right? He needs to be he needs to be better than that. And again, I think he is probably fine as a sixth defenseman. But when you're a sixth defenseman on a team that is stacked on with power play options and you don't really play the penalty kill, you're always at risk, right? You're on the fringe. And mm-hmm. I, we'll talk about Ojeganov soon, I, I imagine. And I, I can't say with confidence that, oh, Ojeganov is far better than Carrick and will perform better. I think. I think, even now, even with Carrick's poor preseason, I think he's he would be fine as our third pairing right defenseman. But, he, like you said, he's not made that decision automatic, right? And that kind of tells you, okay, that's kind of where his his ceiling might be capped. I I don't know. It, Carrick's an interesting guy because. When you look at actually the the all in one numbers like like Gar, uh, various models, he usually comes out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it, it's I don't know. Uh, I find it hard to square that with what I observe when I watch him play. The fact that he does seem to get kind of carried by his his line mates when he moved up higher in the lineup with with Jake Gardner two seasons ago. Is I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of waffling here. It's just he he needs to be better in order to make sure that he secures a hold on a lineup spot and he he hasn't right that's the problem yeah i i think uh, that's the reality of it i'm this is like maybe a bit heretical but i'm increasingly like iffier on third pair defensemen who coaches don't seem to like who have really nice advanced stat profiles like i just am increasingly convinced there are things that are not being captured there I, I do agree. I think that a good team can play Connor Carrick on its third pair. But I just really expected that he was going to walk in and take this job because the competition wasn't that great. Well, yeah, Bab- it really isn't. Mike Babcock had a quote uh, where he said, and a lot of people read it kind of uh, negatively. like They read it as him being xenophobic, which is not how I think he meant it. Uh, but he basically said, if you've been on the team and you speak English, you should have a leg up uh, over guys who are new to the team and don't speak English. And what I interpreted that as was, Oziganov is here for the first time. He's trying to learn the language. It's harder for him than it should be for Connor Carrick. If he's outperforming Connor Carrick at first blush, that's a problem for Connor Carrick. That means like, because presumably Ozaganov, as he gets more comfortable, will improve at least a little bit. Now, granted, you know, he's not young. I'm not projecting, like, growth on an age curve sense. But, like, this is kind of it now. It's like you got to earn a spot or it's not going to happen. And I guess the bottom line with Carrick is that if he shot left, like, we would not be having this conversation at all. 
Yeah. Which is kind of damning. Yeah. So, um, actually, and you know, I think I probably could have put uh, another person in my mildly impressed here, but Kelly Rosen, I think, has been pretty good. I've enjoyed watching him anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that he can skate. Again, it, it's kind of harder to see a role for him because he, he's good on the power play and he's got a shot, and we don't really need that at the NHL level. But, you know, it wouldn't totally boggle my mind if he wound up playing offside on the third pair or, you know, if Andreas Borgman did it, although... We don't quite know what's going on with Andreas Borgman right now. Yeah. I just want to correct one of my comments. I, I mentioned that Carrick looks good by various war models. I actually just checked mm-hmm. this. So by Evolving Wild's war model, he looks pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. By Corsica's, he's basically replacement level, which mm-hmm. for Corsica essentially means that he's like a third pairing D because their scaling is a little weird. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's what he is. It's just, it doesn't appear that he's really anything more than that right now so yeah uh he's not he's not proven his doubters wrong i guess that's the way that no. i would put it too bad so sad yeah. but like you know so he, he's probably gonna start the year in the press box i think and then you know injuries happen spots open up and he, he'll get ice this year i think he, you know he's gonna appear in the nhl i just well, I hope for more. You can hear the disappointment in my voice, obviously, because yeah. I really want to like Connor Carrick. Yeah, no, I like we both said, he's he's a very rootable player, right? Mm-hmm. It's a guy very easy to find yourself liking and wanting to see more of. And he has a skill set that, in theory, you would enjoy, right? But for an offensive def- defenseman, he's never really shown that much offense. His play driving has been definitely buoyed by who he's played with at times. Uh, and while these war models try and adjust for that, they're, they're not always perfect at doing so. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I so, guess we should discuss uh, Parlintome as well, right? We haven't touched on him yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's fine. A lot of people have been lower on him. Yeah. Like, uh, I've been saying that like he's very unimpressive, and I was a bit surprised by that. I think he looks like a fourth-line center. Um, you know... Which is fine. That's going to be his job. I like. I don't see who's going to take it from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't talk to me about Frederick Goche. That's not happening. Um, so yeah, he's been probably what he's supposed to be. It's kind of like uh, the the third pairing defense thing, where it's like the competition is not that stiff. So like he should be better than everyone else who is theoretically yeah. going for that role, which I guess is just Goche, and he has. Yeah, in, in his case, like, he's done enough to get the job. Mike Babcock loves him. was really loves high on him. him. Um, and I, I'm probably, I, I, I don't have the practiced eye that Mike Babcock does, so I don't know that I was seeing everything in quite that rosy light, but, like, he, he's fine. He's going to do it, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's, does. you know, I don't think he's an amazing fourth line center. Or like, oh wow, this guy's gonna destroy people facing that competition. But he seems fine. I mean, I saw this a lot during yesterday's game, where as you said, people were like, oh, you know, he's been very unimpressive. And during that game, he he played like ten even strength minutes, and like six of them were against Jack Eichel's line. He came out yeah e- uh, even against Eichel and a plus in terms of Corsi overall. Um, sorry, even in terms of Corsi, he he was on the ice for one goal against, where he wasn't amazing, but it also wasn't like 
a colossal breakdown, just kind of a goal that happens. Um, and it bears mentioning, like, Jack Eichel is a franchise center. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's like, not we're, easy to defend him. We're, we're not going to pair him against Jack Eichel that often, or players like Jack Eichel. So, I mean, I, I think that was fine. And I guess that also goes for Kapanen and Janssen, who are his line mates. Um, you know, we talked about how we were disappointed. That maybe that's a function of our expectations more than anything else. Yeah. Because it's not like they, they've been awful by any means. It's, it's that they haven't really done a whole lot that you look at and you're like, oh, wow, that was amazing, right? I, I use this term a lot, but, like, they didn't bring a lot to the table. They didn't take anything off it either, but it kind of speaks to our differing expectations for Kapanen and Janssen that that's a disappointment for them, but it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine for Lindholm. Yeah, exactly. We, we don't need him to be more than he is. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's kind of set. Like, really, the mystery for me now is going to be the the third pairing on defense. I think... I have a pretty good idea of what the forward lineup is going to be. I think um, even the third uh, pairing on defense, I think it, I think Ojaganov kind of has it. As there's, I think who he's are the been. Options? Who are the options? Yeah, I I think he's been doing well. I think Carrick has, at least, come close to playing himself out of that job. Yeah, um, and but I, mean, I think I, of I don't Borgman. Think, I don't think there's a big difference even now. Like even with Carrick playing badly and Ojaganov playing decently, I, I mean mm. I think you could you could toss a coin between the two i don't think it's a massive difference if anything carrick might still be better but yeah you know Babcock doesn't really see carrick that way so sorry i interrupted you you were talking about borgman oh yeah no i just uh borgman i think the organization sees something in borgman like i think that they believe that he has a little bit more potential maybe than a lot of these guys mm-hmm. um he's a little bit younger that said you know it is the third pair, um, and I don't know if he's going to get time in the NHL this year. He can still go down without having to clear waivers. So that's uh, kind of a big impact, whereas someone like Carrick is possibly going to get claimed via modem, so that's why I think Carrick is a press box option. Yeah, I mean, the problem with but, Borgman and, again, with Rosen and whatnot is that, like, Dermot came into the NHL, and in basically similar usage to what the others got he kind of cleaned up yeah. right he was just visibly so impressive and impressed the coach and also most uh kind of most stats also point in his favor too he had ridiculous shot differentials he had uh absolutely massive uh war when you prorated over the course of a season so his numbers were so good that you have to be like okay this can't yeah his, his, no, like, he, yeah. he got very sheltered usage but he got results that were like Above yeah. what you would expect, even from someone that was sheltered, right? And yeah, I, I like, don't, like they were really, really impressive. Yeah, and that should be an uncontroversial statement to everyone except maybe Steve Birch, who is like <laughs> a Travis Dermott truther. Um, <laughs> we're gonna get to the bottom of this one. Yeah, but, uh, he 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 he's claims that Borgman was almost as impressive, which I mean, I, Borgman had good results too, I suppose. But I, from what I remember, and I haven't checked the stats on this, from what I remember, Dermots were better. And also, Dermot like pretty much never took penalties, or very rarely took penalties. Whereas Borgman took penalties in ten of the third of the forty-eight games that he played. Um. <laughs> I love that phrasing, but yeah. Um, so, so you know, the other thing is that Justin Hall, who I just yeah. I haven't really seen it. He has people who really are big on him. Um, and I've heard some people say that he's like a Kyle Dubas player, like he really likes him, but. 
I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I just can't convince myself that, like, this is going to be it at age 26. It, it, um, it's possible. I mean, I think he's know. been fine. He is a little... He One thing he has working for him is that he, he does PK. Yeah. Right? And, and he, he can skate. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He's not he can skate. bad. He has is, he is great wheels. Um, yeah, like you, I have a hard time seeing it, but it could, it could happen. Uh, do you think he has a better shot right now than... Okay, so gun to your head. Do you play Dermot or, or Hall? Sorry, sorry, Carriker Hall. Carriker Hall. Yeah, Dermot's going. Um, gee, that's a tough one. I I probably still say Carrick. I'm really tempted to say Hall just because again I'm kind of disappointed, but I think Carrick ha- can be an NHL defenseman. I mean, on the other hand, um, Justin Hall, if you play him, will score 82 goals in a season. So <laughs> you uh, you can't buy that, but um, yeah, I think I would still narrowly give uh, Carrick the edge. Mm-hmm. But Hall is a bit is a bit of the mystery box there. There's a potential. It's more like if if he seemed to capture the imagination of the coaching staff, I, I would kind of sit up and take notice. Until he does that, I'm probably I'm not counting on it. That's how I would put it. Yeah. I... I'd like to see him. I mean, this is this is the training camp battle that's going to extend to the rest of the preseason between uh, Carrick, Ozaganov, Hall, and like everyone else as well uh, on on the on the blue line. So this mm-hmm. is one where we're going to have a little more data to evaluate. I I wouldn't mind seeing Hall get some more chances there, and I don't have a problem if this continues into the first couple weeks of the season either, the way it did last year, where they kind of rotate through. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with that either. I think there's not a lot to choose between these guys. You know, as disappointed as we are in Carrick, um, it's very there's a very reasonable shot that he's still the best of these options. Yeah, it's true. The one thing I might also note is that I've seen a couple of people be really, really low on a Ziganov, um, which I find interesting. He seemed, like, fine to me, like, kind of boring, which is not necessarily a bad thing in a third pair defenseman mm-hmm. but uh i saw like i've seen some people argue that like he d- he shouldn't be in that grouping like that he should be like clearly the first guy down um and i don't think that that's, that's i don't think that's at all how mike babcock sees it so i do think you're right that um aussie is like a very solid threat mm-hmm. at, at least he's clearly in the running and uh maybe the best at the right shooting d right now in terms of their chances so yeah i mean i i have a hard time evaluating defensemen in general even at the nhl mm-hmm. level and it's harder when it's guys who i haven't seen that much and are playing small samples against mixed competition it it's very difficult to evaluate so i don't have terribly strong opinions on the, the on this particular battle mm-hmm. we'll see how it pans out yeah That's the bottom line okay um does that kind of cover it for leafs training camp do you think yeah i think so all right cool uh babbled enough yeah about 70 minutes on, on that on that uh topic well we, we have a couple kind of lighter ideas to get us through the rest of the the podcast um the first one i mentioned off the top that we we're going to talk about galaxy braining and lineup decisions can you explain what that mm. means okay so galaxy brain is a meme if you've ever seen it where um there's a sequence of photos where there appears to be an increasing like light in like someone's brain and, like, the final thing is, like, 
a superimposition of the Milky Way over someone's head, and it's, like, shining and everything. And the joke is that as the light gets brighter and, you know, like, supposedly it's more brilliant, the ideas get more kind of off the wall and crazy. And so galaxy braining is kind of a slang term that we've taken to using. I'm sure it's not, like, I don't think we invented it or anything. No, but no, not at all. No. Um, but we've been using it to describe where you kind of get too clever for yourself. As Kanye would put up, it, so sharp that you cut yourself. Exactly. Like, you really kind of overthink things. And I have seen people galaxy braining the Leafs lineup again. People always do it, but it's like... I saw an example recently where it was saying, when Nylander comes back, play him at fourth line center um, on a one-year bridge deal, and then his numbers will be suppressed. Then you'll be able to extend him for... Uh, an extremely small amount of money because his numbers will be suppressed and then we'll be able to keep the core together. That's galaxy braining. Yeah. Because that's bonkers. Yeah, so specifically <laughs> we mean it in the in the sense of where you are trying to like depress a, t your, a player or a group's numbers in order to like sign them for a nicer term or a nicer uh, deal, to a nicer deal in on the back half of that. Um, and it's just... It's one of those ideas that, like, literally does not stand up to any amount of scrutiny. Like, like you, you're making the team worse. Yeah, so that's the first problem. That's the first problem. <laughs> like, you have this idea. Don't do that. And, and the immediate problem is, okay, so just to give a few more examples here. I've seen things like, say, mm. okay, take Gardner off the second power play so you reduce his ask for the next season. Or play Marner with Kadri instead of Tavares so that he'll get a few less points and it'll still be useful to the team. But, like, you are making your team worse. Yeah. Really, this should be point one, two, three, and just every other point. Like, this is all that matters. You are making your team worse. Now, in some cases, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe you can convince me that if you're a tanking team, yeah, Galaxy Brain, your forward lineup so that, you know, you're uh, you're going to be worse and you'll get guys cheaper later. Maybe that works, even though I, I'll still have my doubts. But for mm -hmm. the Leafs, a team that obviously sees themselves as a contender this season, why are you making your team worse? Like, to, yeah. what are you, what are you doing, right? Um, it, it just, it doesn't make sense on that level alone. But then you think about it in terms of how players will react to this. And players are not robots. That's the thing. Players are people and they are not idiots. Yeah. If, if you take Jake Gardner off the power play in his contract year after he scored 50 points, do you think he's going to be like, oh, I wonder why they took me off the power play? That's, that's super <laughs> transparent. And and yeah. that's not going to work. His agent is going to be like, well, if you put him on the power play, he would have gotten 50 points again. When he yeah. goes into the free agent market... You've really disincentivized him to resign with you, yeah. though. And <laughs> when he goes into the free agent market, every other team, in their discussions with him, will be like, okay, yeah, we can play you on the power play. And his agent will be like, yes, pay us as if you were going to pay me on the power play. Because Jake can do that, evidenced by this season, before the Leafs randomly galaxy brain themselves. Right? Yeah. Like it, aside from... it pissing off your players because that would 100% piss off Jake Gardner and should mm -hmm. it won't work it won't actually decrease his ask because it's not like it's not like uh, agents in real life or like agents in NHL 18 where they have like a deterministic formula where it's like okay do points times 0.5 million or wh like whatever <laughs> right it, they have yeah. they're capable of understanding context yeah it, like I saw this a bunch in law, mm -hmm. and 
I feel like it's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have where it's like you're gonna win through like extremely overthought technicalities that are really transparent like don't think don't think that you're smarter than the judge is how I would put it don't think that you know no one's going to see what you're doing um, don't think that it's not gonna piss anyone off um, even just like at the first stage of it where it's like say you throw away two or three points doing this in the standings over the course of the season that easily can be the difference between winning the division and finishing second or finishing second and finishing third or winning the division and finishing third yeah like it can all be that close and that can mean you run into tampa round one you don't get home uh, ice advantage you're playing another game seven in boston maybe like ah (laughs) you know what i mean it's just really kind of frustrating to see like that logic where it's like we're going to focus solely on asset management to the active detriment of our team um yeah there's not a benefit there yeah and okay like you you are going to piss off players by doing that Mm -hmm. right you're going to damage your relationship with a player if you are transparently trying to lower or if you're transparently putting them in in positions where your plan is to capitalize on that by signing them to a lower deal in the future like mm-hmm. that that's the very definition of acting in bad faith yeah absolutely and Kyle Dubas has alluded to not this specifically but he said you know we want to get a good value contract we also want to maintain our relationship with a core player um, and I think that when you're just toying around on gap friendly or whatever it can be maybe easy to lose sight of it but like you said they're not robots so, William Nylander is not going to be our fourth line center. I just feel like I want to want to hammer that one. Yeah, it, it's not an idea that it's an idea that sounds superficially very clever, mm-hmm. but then when you try and think about it in the lens of okay, but how would a person react to that? It, it's yeah, it immediately falls apart, especially when you consider that NHL players are hyper competitive. They all have egos and they all have confidence right for getting as far as they have they're not going to respond well to the sort of transparent crap where you're kind of dicking them around yeah i I mean like for for for, a lot of the people who i see suggest this would also kind of decry what lou lamorello has done in perhaps stalling josh levo's career but this is Mm. the same thing oh yeah you know i i can't imagine that they wouldn't resent it and you say okay well he's an rfa we have all the leverage but like what are you doing there you're trying to get him to get out of town basically that's how he's going to read it he's not going to want to sign a term deal with you Mm -hmm. he's going to be thinking god i hope i get traded you know to somewhere where i might be valued remotely commensurate with my talent the other other thing here's like try try selling this to mike babcock yeah right because i mean mike babcock's job (laughs) is to win right yeah uh and, and you know, he's not going to take a step back right now to be to sign a better deal for like the next four years or whatever at this stage of the Leafs development, right? If if this edict was to come down, it would come from Leafs management. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be like, hey, Mike? Um, yeah, can you put can you put Z on uh, on power play two instead of Jake? Why? <laughs> oh, you know, we want to keep Jake's ass down. Go yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> that's how that's how that conversation would end. Yeah, I'm sure he's thinking. You know what? 
you pay me to make the lines. You pay me to build a winner. Don't tell me to do this kind of, you know, penny-pinching bullshit. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so that was us being angry at Twitter, which is really what Twitter is for. <laughs> but there's another thing, which is Arvin being, I think, correct uh, in response to some podcasts that were really overvaluing the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. So, I think that's how it's going to pan out. Yeah. So I was listening to some podcasts, and they're just they're just frankly too high on the Sabres. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you know, Jim Botterill has done a really good job there this offseason. It's like, okay, well, first off, he won a draft <laughs> lottery. He had nothing to do with that. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, for, chill out there. Secondly, yeah. he traded his second best player for a lot of depth and, like, not much else. I, I, yeah. I think people randomly forget the Ryan O'Reilly trade and how bad a deal that was for Buffalo. I don't know. I still don't know why they traded him. Because it's like they're trying. They just decided that that was enough. Yeah, it's like they got into the situation where they're like, okay, we have to trade this guy. And then that never works out well because you've lost all leverage. Like yeah, you, You've like... committed to one decision in your mind. And then you never reevaluate. Wait, should we actually do that? Right? So, I mean, okay. Let me back up for a second here. Basically, my argument here is that people are just too high on Buffalo in general right now. Um, I see people mm. discussing them as if they're going to... That they're a real shot for the playoffs. And I I think it's not impossible that they get there. But I think, realistically, what they are going to be is a respectable, crappy team. Yeah. Like, they're going to be forgettably bad. Which is fine, because Buffalo was, has been historically bad for a very long time. Yeah, I, like, I'm sure... I was saying uh, to someone, like, I think they're going to get about 80 points. Yeah, 80 and to everyone 85 was like, points. that sounds awful, but I'm like, that's a nine-win improvement over last season yeah it's i mean look they've, they've done some nice things they now have a good defenseman named rasmus which has been a la- <laughs> like a, a problem spot for them for a long time uh, the yeah. jeff skinner trade was great right it was like the inverse of the ryan yeah. o'reilly trade because it's like i don't know how you could think both deals were, were good from buffalo's perspective right it's like because they yeah. were on basically two sides of the same deal yeah it like it was frankly bewildering to see that, especially when you're thinking, if you had added Jeff Skinner to Ryan O'Reilly and, you know, you have the beginnings of a really interesting forward group. Yeah, and also, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but, like, Ryan O'Reilly is a guy who drives shot share like crazy, but he can't really fit. He can't buy a goal. Skinner is mm-hmm. a guy who's never really driven shots or goals particularly well, but he can finish and he can shoot. Is that not an amazing match? Yeah, it's like they would cover for each other impeccably yeah so uh, I, the other thing is that people are really high on casey middlestad and he's an interesting uh player everyone who's like a scout who watches him is immediately like he has talent out the wazoo mm-hmm. um everyone who does projections based on points and stuff like that says he wasn't scoring that much yeah at the college level and so I think you can average those out and say he's still a really cool prospect. Yeah. He's 19. But some people are like penciling him in as like he's going to be, he's going to step in and replace Ryan O'Reilly as a quality second line center or something. It's like, I don't think so. Yeah, I think Middlestat <laughs> is going to be a very good player, but probably not as yeah. good as Ryan O'Reilly and certainly not as good as Ryan O'Reilly this season. Mm-hmm. Um, their goaltending relies on Carter Hutton, who I believe is 32 and is unproven as a consistent starter. Mm hmm. 
their blue line is still really bad. They now have a good Rasmus, a bad Rasmus, and four corn cobs. <laughs> That's the most damning assessment I've heard of the terrible Sabres defense. Like it's, but like, the, the the best thing that can be said about them is that, but in part because of that O'Reilly trade, now they actually have some depth who are like not AHL players. They have like mm-hmm. actual NHL depth, which which is good. Their forward lines are not awful, but I just don't see where the upside is really. Like it's, I mean, and look, part of this could be. Part of this could be influenced by yesterday's game against the Leafs, where they played a sizable contingent of their NHL roster. Basically, their mm-hmm. NHL roster, except Middlestat and like maybe Alex Nylander and maybe a few other guys, mm-hmm. but the core of it was there. And the Leafs played Austin Matthews, their fourth line, Jake Gardner and Nikita Zaitsev, and literally AHLers the rest of the way down. Yeah, and like the Leafs that outplayed. Should have been a win. Yeah, the Leafs outplayed them. Right? They didn't, like, dummy them and embarrass them or anything, but they outplayed them. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's... I think there's, like, a very natural desire on Buffalo fans to be, like, we're finally coming out and, like, now this is going to be the year it turns around. And it still could be. Like, it turns around as a a vague term, right? Like, as you said, an an 80-point season's a big upgrade. Yeah, I think they're going to get better. Like, I really do uh, believe that, which is saying something considering how bad the Ryan O'Reilly trade was. But, like, unless they ride a PDO spike, which anyone can do at any time, uh, this is a bad team. They're no longer an abysmal team. They have some really interesting pieces. I still think that they are a bad team, and it's mostly because uh, their defense is butt. It is really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they added Matt Hunwick, and like, I don't think he's is Matt Hun. I don't think he's gonna be on their <laughs> roster, right? I, I haven't seen him on any roster projections. I would. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they've got him for two years at two point two five. So if they want to do something, I wonder if they bought him out. I just never heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> they honestly could have. I just, as an aside, I find this funny. Uh, Matt Molson cleared waivers the other day. He's still in their <laughs> system, and he still has a cap at five million dollars. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the other thing is, um, Darlene. Darlene, I mean, look, I'm not, he didn't have a great game against Toronto, uh, in the preseason. I'm not going to be an idiot and be like, oh, well, that means he's a bust because, like, no, he's quite obviously going to be an amazing player. Yeah. But I do think the learning curve for a defenseman is, is different than the learning curve for a forward. And it's, I wouldn't expect him to be Victor Hedman right away. No. I think by the end of the year, maybe he's already a top pairing guy, but, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be completely seamless, right? And that's fine. That's 100% okay. Yeah. Uh, like, he's obviously enormously talented. Yeah. Uh, he checks so many boxes. I've seen a lot of people say, like, look, his defensive game isn't all the way there yet, which, again, is fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're expecting to be a good team, really leaning on this guy as your defenseman, because, again, they don't have a lot of other options. Yeah. Then... His defensive game will need to be there for you to be good. So uh, this is going to be a, a development year for Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it just I think people should just settle down on them a little. I, I mean, mm-hmm. fans shouldn't because what, what's the point of being a fan if you're not going to be ridiculously optimistic and kind of unhinged? That's what's fun about it. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. I think too many people in the media are kind of overlooking um, just how bad that defense core is and how much losing Ryan O'Reilly is going to hurt, especially given mm-hmm. how they used O'Reilly. Like, they used O'Reilly 
like I was talking about Kadri's usage earlier. O'Reilly's was horrific. Oh yeah, they sent him to hell. Yeah, and he, and he succeeded. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like that's the crazy thing. He did he did pretty well. Right? He broke it. It broke his spirit. Yeah, no. that's what happened. Was that like finally it was too much and he he had to leave. Yeah. But, uh... it, so I mean I think Dom Lachishan at the Athletic has uh, the Sabers penciled in for like eighty six points on average. That's their mean projection. Yeah. That seems reasonable, especially when you when you know that they're in a weak division. So yeah. that can bump them up a couple points. So uh, I would I would say like they're a low eighties to kind of true talent team, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't see them doing a whole lot. Besides being kind of young and promising. Yeah, I honestly, I think that uh, in the Atlantic Division, there's a bit of a feeling of, we've already done this. Mm-hmm. Like, the the three divisional seeds everyone expects are definitely going to be the same as they were last year. And then Florida will be in the middle, and then everyone else will be bad. So, the really, the real prospect for any kind of movement is probably Buffalo rising from the abyss into something more respectable. Yeah. And so I, I, people are, like, talking about that, I think, for lack of other things to talk about. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. Do you got anything to plug for this upcoming week? I don't, but I probably should try and write something at some point. So check pensionplanpuppets.com for whenever I do my job and produce some content. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can also find myself and Fuleman on Twitter at ARBI and at ATFuleman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in one week.